Welcome to Dual Threat with Ryan Rossillo. I'm Ryan Rossillo. What happens, uh, nephew Kyle? I'm going to ask you a couple questions here, so I want to make sure your mic is potted up. I don't think it's going to go well if I needed somebody to fill in for me, right? You know, week five here. Yeah. <laughs> like, would they so. just say they're no. going to look at me, and I'm going to look at them, right. and we're just going to be? I'm not saying I, I want that to happen. I have a couple more trips coming up, but I'm already laying out the groundwork of of using studios in other cities to do this. So you know I'll have to get on the same page there. Yeah, let's do uh, it. And I'm not asking what the, hey, I just don't feel like doing the pod this week. I don't think that's really how we all agreed on this whole thing. But, you know, I would, I guess I could say my name at the top of them and that's fine. And, and I think you might get one of those. You maybe get one of those you could pull out, but I don't know. I, really I don't, don't. I don't even want to do that because that's not like, I'm not a, a Colin sick guy. I've, I've never been, look, if I can't figure it out one week, but, you know, you never know because we have this plan of these Tuesdays and then it drops Wednesday morning. And that's kind of what we're going to do once the playoff rankings come out. We're going to tape this right when the rankings came out for college football and then all the NFL stuff. So we're going to do a couple NFL. I mean, really, the majority we're going to do is NFL because we're going to spend all sorts of time today praising Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. The Monday night performance was insane. So Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl champ, a guy I got pretty close with at ESPN, used to have him on the radio show every week for years. He is going to join us. I was out at Penn State, Ohio State this weekend uh, with Nissan. So I've got some stuff from that that I want to share with you. And so uh, I think that's kind of the plan today. A long, deep dive, about 45 minutes with Trent Dilfer. But before we do that, I don't know if ZipRecruiter could help uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, it looks like the Steelers may not need any help. We'll get to Le'Veon in a second. Or James Franklin. I'm not a huge anti-play call guy the next day. Sometimes people dial up a great defense. We'll get to that a little bit later. But ZipRecruiter, if you wanted to go that route, you could. We should actually talk to ZipRecruiter about actually for real putting together a job listing to be my assistant, see which sort of response we get. And I'm never hiring any of them, but we'll just read. That's a better better shot than Twitter Twitter DMs. Right, right. Absolutely. And I'm being harassed, physically harassed now on Instagram. Some guys DMing me to challenge. I don't know if they're asking for a fight. It sort of seems like they want to fight, uh, but I don't. Maybe he just wants to wrestle. No, just Greco-Roman. He's like, I don't really want to fight. I would just like to get in a couple singlets and just kind of just toss each other around the living room a little bit. Like, isn't there a site? Isn't there a dating app for that? 50 um, bucks an hour, I think, is we're going, right? I'm sure ZipRecruiter's thrilled we got the Greco-Roman refer- reference in there. But here's the deal. Um, you know what's smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, that's R-Y-E-N, to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. We should just do the assistant thing. Have Have the people, the business people talk to them and say, let's just post something just to have fun with it. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is number one, okay? That's why they're rated number one, not by just some websites, but the real stuff here. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. So that's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one. And right now, for my listeners, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Super Bowl champ, Trent Dilfer. What's going on with Mahomes? What are we seeing here? You know, Ryan, I wanted to wait and see more before you make some big brash comment. Um, but I don't know if I can. Uh, I think we're seeing a once in a generation type talent that also has a surrounding cast that is very good, a system that is five years ahead of everybody else. Um, 
I see nothing but great things from Patrick Mahomes. And it's not just the physical stuff. Now, listen, I'm like everybody else where my jaw drops when he runs left and contorts his body and scissor kicks and throws it back to the right. And I thought his best play Monday night was when he scrambled to his left right after that and ripped fire in the back of the end zone and the receiver dropped it in him in his chest. Um, it's not just the playmaking, it's the craft. It's how advanced he is at a young age as a passer. It's the manipulation he does with his eyes. He dictates terms with his eyes. It's tying his feet to his eyes when he gets through a progression. So instead of moving his head one way and his feet that are falling late, it's his eyes and his feet move together. I call it married. They're married together as they get through progressions. It's his command at the line of scrimmage. He's changing protections. He's hand signaling to receivers. He's making audibles. Not everybody does that every day. It's playing fast and playing slow. When you play fast, high tempo, you have to process information quicker. It's about a twitchy mind more than capacity. When you play slow, it's more about capacity. It's more about a ton of information and how much you got to digest and discern at the line of scrimmage. Um, it's his poise, obviously. Uh, he's sitting there in a very hostile environment. They're not playing their best football, tons of penalties. Um, I know I used to get pissed with the penalties and it got to me. It, it shook me cause you'd make four or five really good plays and you know, you get penalties and now you're behind the eight ball and you know, mentally you're kind of beat up. He doesn't get beat up by that stuff. Um, I just can go through the 30 layers of quarterbacking that I look at and he's kind of checking the superstar box on all of them. Okay, you said something, there's a lot of things there that are really good, but you said something early that surprised me where you said he's in a system that's five years ahead of everybody. I mean, that can't be true. He can't be, I mean, what McVay's doing with golf, they can't, like they may have a great system, but are you trying to tell me the Chiefs are that far advanced than every other, like the second place team in advancement offensively is that far behind Kansas City? I love that you always catch me in hyperbole. Thank you. You do. You always <laughs> well, I just want to make sure there because are, that would be a big no, deal. No. No, you're you're absolutely right to, to call me on that. I think there's a handful of teams. Okay, just that are five years ahead of everybody else. Okay, and because one of them. you know Sean, that's not a call I out. Think, that's me making sure that I'm following you. You know what I mean? Like I want to know. I don't yeah, want to be telling. I, I don't want to be telling some cocktail waitress at happy hour that they're five years ahead of everybody else. <laughs> no, I I remember saying it when Sean McVay was at the Redskins. I think it was on your show. I was like, that's the next young hothead coach, and here's why. He's doing things that forever the league said you can't do. And now you're seeing Nagy, Reed, Peterson, Reich, McVeigh, Norv's doing some new stuff. The one thing about the old curmudgeon Norv Turtle, my best friend, is he will keep learning and he will keep innovating. And him and his son Scott have gone and studied a lot of these college offenses. So there's a handful. I don't want to put an exact number on it. Okay. There's a handful of systems that are three to five years ahead of everybody else. Cause they said a few years ago, can we can do this. We're going to find a way to do this. In the NFL, we're going to have a better bridge offense for young quarterbacks. We're going to put more stress on defenses. We're going to create more space. We're going to make more plays. We're going to have more plays. We're going to have more possessions and we're going to light the league on fire. And that's what these guys are doing. So we know that he had the arm. We knew that part of it. And what I like about him, and I, I tweeted this out last night and talked a little bit about it, is that his athleticism is not the default setting. He uses it to assist in throws, but it's not 
you know, Randall Cunningham, you know, I, I, my little brother was like, hey, was he any good? And I'm like, pull up some of his YouTube clips, okay? And then, you know, Vic blew us away, but Vic, I don't think, was nearly as accurate. And that's, I think, the scariest thing about last night is you go, okay, he's athletic. Let's keep him in the pocket. Let's try to collapse it on him. And then now I think everybody's going to be going, we have to get him. Like, we can't let him outside of the pocket all because then he threw for more yards outside of the pocket than we've seen in an NFL game in like 10 years. So as you've watched him, and I'm with you, like, this is really impressive. If you look at rookie, and I know he's not technically a rookie, but first seasons of great quarterbacks, statistically nobody's even close to this. And I went through all of them this morning, and I was kind of laughing about it. And that's also a product of, of how teams are playing and, and the penalties. I mean, there's a million things we can factor in here. There's going to be that kind of bad game, but the bad game, like anybody that's the doubter doesn't get to point to that game and say, see, I told you after what we've seen from this month. So this is... This is, I don't know, scary because that makes it negative, but this is so incredibly impressive. I'm just wondering, is there anything that you see that a team, like what would be the game plans now from the the smart defensive minds in the NFL as they get ready for this kid? Be great in the red zone and somehow try to create some negative plays and put them in third and long. It's so much easier said than done, but you're not going to stop this team between the 20s. Um, not with the rules that are in place. Not, not without... Ha- in the old days, the way you would do it, the way the Belichicks did, the way the great defense coordinators did it to the great offenses that were ahead of their time was roughing them up, was physicality, rerouting, not letting them get free starts. Well, we I had this discussion in Osium when I was on ESPN. You can't do that anymore. So that, that's been like a five-year thing that you just can't touch receivers anymore. So you can't do that. Um, you really can't blitz because they have too much speed and there's too much open space. And if you notice, and I wish they would have done a better job last night talking about this. If you notice when they put Tyree kill in the backfield or when they have their, their skilled people inside, yeah, it's for blitz beaters. They have a blitz beater built into every single play to get the guy, the ball quick in space. It's very Saturday offense. See, in Saturday offense, you no longer teach quarterbacks protections and hots inside of just hots. Meaning if two guys rush from the side, you can't block them. You throw quick to a receiver that's looking and reading the same thing you are or side adjust. The safety comes out of the backfield and we know we can't block them. So the receiver sees and he runs a slant instead of a hook or whatever. They don't do that anymore. What they do is they build in a blitz beater option. That's always running a flare or a quick look or something that's going to put them in space. Uh, and one-on-one or one-on-nothing um, if the defense decides to blitz. And Kansas City has that built into everything. And a lot of their run game is built around beating blitz. They're suckering into pressuring certain formations in certain situations, and then they gash you with these big runs. So you can't blitz them. Um, I don't know. I'm not smart enough to, to know what to do to stop them. I know that you have to force them to kick field goals. Uh, you gotta, you got to be able to keep it in front of you tackle well, um, not give up the freebie big plays, and force them to march the field and then eventually get impatient and kick field goals. I was impressed with Denver. I, I thought, you know, this is one of those things as I was watching the first half, I go, I wish I had tweeted this out before because I go, you know, if there's a spot where this guy's going to struggle, it'd be his fourth game in and Denver, Monday nighter. I like the talent on on Denver's defense. And for the most part, they did do a really good job. Like, let's just try to keep all the stuff in front of each other and and try to get there and move the pocket without having to blitz a ton. Although Denver, I think statistically going into the game, had blitzed as much as anyone. I don't know if I have that right. I, I think I saw that when I was going through the prep for it. But then when you talk about trying to keep them out of the 
red zone and, and not worrying about the 20s. I don't know that I love other than other than Tyree Kill. Like you can talk about Sammy Watkins going down. I still don't really know what Sammy Watkins is other than a disappointment. And he got hurt and they gave him a ton of money. Um, and, and that's fine. And, and he looked like he was going to be a lot coming out of Clemson and he has not been that guy. But as far as like Chris Conley, um, I think Robinson was in last night in some of their formations. And they're kind of doing this without that real number one threat, even though Tyreek is so unique. So I don't want to say Tyreek Hill isn't a number one threat because, I mean, go back to week one. It's in, it just, He made the rest of the NFL players look unathletic around him. But is this something where you go, okay, there's a lot of stuff we can do by design, but with the rules, would you would you suggest if you were running a team, like let's try to find some of these really versatile, smaller guys oh. That can spread people out with just motion as decoys, because I think I see a lot of that from Kansas City, where it's just these little speedsters everywhere, and you're going, dude, we got to cover a lot of field, even if they're not in the play. So, there's um, where I'll start with that answer. I, and I tweeted this out. You've mentioned a couple of tweets you've had. I tweeted this out the first week of the season. The most important trait now in all of football has gone from strength to speed to what now I call twitch. There we go. Uh, it used to be strength when the game was played in a scrum. The strongest, the biggest, that was the best. Then it became speed when the game started expanding a little bit. Now it's expanded so much that it's twitch. It's how quickly can you, or in another term I've used before, I stole from North Turner's suddenness, the combination of twitch and speed. It's how quickly can you transition? It's that blink of an eye. Um, the average human looks at it and go, wow, how did he do that? It's more important than speed, and here's why. Because these modern offenses have spread you boundary to boundary, because there is more space, and let's not forget, I always say this, the, the ultimate job of the offense is to create space. The ultimate job of the offensive scheme is to create space. The ultimate job of the defensive scheme is to take space away. Okay, those are the scheme objectives. So now that there's naturally more space to work with, and we can talk about motion and shifts and concepts and all that stuff, but there's more space, then what can you do in that space? You're going to have one more one-on-one matchup. How do people make people miss? And that's Twitch. And that's what Conley has. That's what Robinson has. Kelsey has it for a big man. Tyreek Hill has it more than any human I've ever seen on the football field. Uh, And that's what they're going to continue to do. And let's not forget, I think they stole the model from the Patriots. Because everybody forever criticized the Patriots model wide receiver. And all I kept seeing was interior players that had twitch that could create separation, change direction, and make you miss. And you can throw it six yards in less than two seconds and get 15 out of it if the quarterback is precise. Obviously, Tommy's the most precise of all time. And you had guys that fit that mold. But everybody's still locked into this alpha perimeter outside the number, 6'4", 215-pound guy that can fly and jump over people and catch the ball. Hey, that's awesome. If you got one, use it. But those dudes don't grow on trees. But you know who does grow on trees? Are 5'11", 192-pound dudes with massive twitch. I live in Texas and I go to high school football games every Friday night and I see two or three every week. And I'm like, if he goes to the right college, plays in the right system, he'll play in the NFL. And those guys do grow on trees. 
And those are the guys you can find in these college offenses. Why do you think the mid-majors started competing when the air raid and these different versions of spread offenses hit the world? Why couldn't Nick Saban defend them? Because they were in a model of power and speed. And this modern offensive mind said, no, space, spread them out, play fast, get defined looks, and get twitchy guys on bigger, stronger, faster guys, and we'll win more battles than we lose. In the middle of the field, I do think it taps out when you get inside the 10. I've said this forever. The problem with the college offense, you've seen this with a lot of the spread quarterbacks that come to the NFL. You see this every week in college football. And I'm like you. I like college football more than pro football. I watch it all. I record, I think, 13 games a week and watch them. Buddies for so life. I'm watching all the college football. They all tap out when they get inside the 10 if they can't trick you anymore. So that is the, that's the Achilles heel to it. But in the middle of the field, Twitch trumps all. God, I just learned so much. I, I might just hang up. I don't know if I can top this, uh, but I'm not. You know what this sounds a lot like? And I just finished Jeff Perlman's USFL book, which I would recommend to anybody um, for guys like me that were like, yeah, I guess I'll throw it on when I was a little kid running around the house annoying my family. But I would just throw it on. I didn't know what the hell was going on. It was football. It was it was on in the spring. But everything you just described was kind of the Houston Gamblers approach with Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly originally, and as I've just, I've literally just finished this book. He didn't want to go to Buffalo Ended up in Houston. They go, dude, we're just going to run four wide and we're going to get really small guys. Richard Johnson, Ricky Sanders, Gerald McNeil, all these guys. And Kelly hated the offense. So they brought in some guy and they're like, look, Jim's not picking up the offense. This sucks. And they go, all right, well, what do we need to do here? And somebody figured it out. And they go, let's bring in a backup. And they brought in a backup and the backup figured it out in two days. And Jim got pissed and then said, screw it, then learned the offense. And they absolutely lit people up. And they were running this yep. fun. Like, do you remember any of this? I'm, I'm probably telling you something you already knew, but I'm just sharing with everybody that it's it's funny how this can become cyclical. But I cannot agree with you any more than what you just said. I mean, I was looking at Patriots numbers of Julian Edelman coming back and he gets targeted twice as much as anyone else that lines up in the slot. I even looked at Switzer the other night it, with Pittsburgh like they're. They're, and I, I mean, I guess I just lifted. I'll, I'll leave Cooper Cup off of this to not go three white slot guys in a row. But there just seems to be something about the smarter teams going. If you can get free separation off the line of scrimmage, like why aren't we just taking those yards instead of trying to beat safeties and really good corners down the field, kind of one on two? Well, I think there's, you know, it's also the perfect storm now. We've taken tackling out of the offseason. Yeah, right. So the tackling, you know, you talk to you talk to the defensive analysts on TV, many who I respect a lot and worked with. Their perspective is always from a defensive standpoint. They used to say, well, we'll just tackle you. Well, they don't tackle as well anymore. Tackling's as bad as it's ever been across the board. One, players are scared of how to tackle, but two, they don't practice it enough. So again, it lends itself to this formula working um, where these kids are playing college football. You're not just going to Michigan and Iowa and USC and Alabama looking at talent anymore. You're looking at SMU as much as you're looking at Alabama because the mid-majors have these types of players um, that fit your system. And another one, as you mentioned, Edelman. Edelman also, we did this for Soul and Science, actually, on NFL Network. And that's what you're doing. Yeah, Brankus and you were doing this. uh, It's almost like the sports science thing from before, right? And you're doing it. I don't want to, Think of a sports science 3.0 with me bringing it down a level. There you go. So minus (laughs) (laughs) 1.5. That's a good sales job, huh? Um, (laughs) We talked about how Edelman, you know, you look at 
what's the difference of Edelman coming back? Yeah, he's a very good player. He's a great player. But Brady gets the ball in his hands 10% faster since 2015 when he's throwing the ball to Edelman. Huh. Wow. Why is that? Is because he... he's getting open quicker. Yeah. So it's Twitch. It, it all fits. I want to go back to one thing in Mahomes. I feel like we're going to get going on this whole, and I have a ton to say about Honestly, you can talk about Mahomes. And why. You can do it uninterrupted for the next 10 minutes, but I want to just ask you about sports science at some point. But go ahead. I mean, look, take, yeah. take it in any direction that I haven't been smart enough to lead you to. All right, Trent? So, you know, we do the Elite 11 stuff. Our hit rate's been incredible. Um, it's my passion. The staff's incredible. Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to bore everybody with Elite 11. If you're interested, it's all over the internet. Um, Patrick Mahomes is at a regional camp and all these, so we see about 750 high school quarterbacks every spring in regional, what we call competitions, half camp, half competition. They're competing to become part of the 24 finalists that then get pared down to the elite 11. Patrick Mahomes was one of the kids and we knew going in, I mean, we're not dumb. We watched all the film. I'm watching the film going, holy crap. Like this kid's unbelievable. But when we talked to him, he, you know, he wasn't sure about baseball. You know, if he's going to be a baseball player, his dad's a great baseball player, football. We weren't quite sure, to be honest with you. And, and we missed. At the end of the day, we missed because we didn't gamble on talent. We were scared that baseball would be his first love. But my director of operations, Joey Roberts, who worked with us at ESPN for years, who's now working for the American Alliance of Football, uh, does a lot of the scouting for Elite 11. He remembers the conversation he had with Patrick Mahomes. And his big takeaway was this kid is so far, so mature beyond his, beyond his years, it's scary. Joey said, I don't know if he's going to be a major league baseball player, major league football player, or a senator, <laughs> or a president, right. or a lawyer. Whatever he's going to be, he's going to be incredible at it. And I hope that becomes the story of Patrick Mahomes as much as his talent, because what jumps out, even stories last year from Alex Smith and from players in the chiefs. And you can now understand why they made the move to let Alex move on and go with Patrick. It was as much, it was as much about the person, the maturity, the focus, the capacity to learn, um, the willingness to learn the humility the leadership, all the intangible stuff, which I believe makes the path to buy. It's as much that as it is the talent. And that's kind of, I mean, I'm blown away by the skill, obviously, but I'm blown away by how he has no flinch. This kid has zero flinch in him. And at this age, most of the really good ones had some flinch in them at this age. I saw some people making fun of Kingsbury last night on Twitter going, you know, how do you only win so many games with this kid at quarterback? And it's like, okay, well, you clearly never watched Texas Tech because it had nothing to do with Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Um, yeah. You know, it's a 60-point shootout with another team and losing in the Big 12. It, that, that's, that's not on Patrick. Um, you talked about his maturity. I agree. I've interviewed him a couple times. Oh. Anybody that I think everybody gets thrown off a little bit because his voice is a little different when they first hear him. And I don't know if having a father like that, and then you know, last night Booger on the broadcast mentioning Latroy Hawkins as his godfather, and maybe being around pro athletes, you know, just you're just maybe you're cut a little bit differently because it's not as weird to you, and you're expecting yourself to be that way. I do think that with the stuff you guys do at Elite Eleven and the grooming for these kids, it it gets them a little bit more ready, and that comes back to something I'm pretty sure you and I have disagreed about in the past. Is that my theory is kind of this: is that if someone was going to be great, they're going to end up being great. And 
I'm afraid with Mahomes sitting out the year, everybody's going to think that this is what you're supposed to do. And that was a very unique situation is that Alex is, is, is good enough and it wasn't a team that was in a hurry to replace him. They were competitive last year, so they didn't have to go right away. But if he's this special, I think some people will argue he's this special because he sat and observed and Alex was great and Andy and the whole staff and these guys are great. And my point would be, why couldn't he have just played in week eight or week nine last year? Are you really telling me he'd be a different guy? I think we overrate, and this is me telling a guy that played in the league, so I'm ready to be told how wrong I am. But I do wonder if we overrate the impact of certain quarterbacks observing when I think there's sort of a point of no return where eventually you can only learn so much by observing, and the quicker you get out there, the quicker you're going to figure the game out. So as you know, I've pounded the drum since I've when I came out of the league that I think sitting is better than playing right away. I know. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, you're the first to hear this publicly. I now believe the opposite. What? I am on your side. I am on your side now. And I've had to, I've had, it's been a hard one for me because I spent this entire off season. I did last year's quarterback draft as thoroughly as anybody's ever done it because I'd coached every one of them to lead 11. So I wanted to be objective by letting my relational equity get invested in my evaluation of, of all those guys last year, Donald and Rosen and all that stuff. So I, I worked so hard on that draft and I kept communicating that I really believe that they need to set. And then right when we were done with the draft, I started looking into the NFL season and looking at trends and looking at what these offenses are going to become and talking to some coaches in the NFL, and what they were planning on doing this year. I'm like, Holy crap, I'm wrong because the modern day offense is more like what they did in college than anything else. So they're it's it's kind of like they're going they're going to the NFL and they get to play with better people, practice more, study more, be more professional about it, and run a very similar system to what they ran in college. Why shouldn't they play? Because my paradigm was always you go from college football that is used to be, I'm gonna start saying used to be used to be very simplistic. And it used to be you only had 20 hours a week. You only practiced the things you needed to do to win that game. Development wasn't the core principle. It was winning the game. And then you went in the NFL and you were asked to be a professional. You're asked to be a man. You're asked to be the team spokesperson. You're asked to be a politician. Oh, and by the way, you got to learn 10x more plays. You got to learn protections, which you didn't learn in college. You got to learn side adjust, hot, managing the game, clock management, you got to deal with people you've never dealt with before. You're in the same locker room as a 36-year-old father of five. Like, it used to be overwhelming. It's not overwhelming anymore. So I had to check myself at the door and just say, you know, I've been wrong. I think now with this, with the trends that you're seeing, where, and I'll get into this too, but football innovation has worked its way from Friday to Sunday instead of the old days when it was Sunday to Friday. With now football innovation being growing from the bottom up, these kids aren't jumping into anything that's that overwhelming, that's that different. They're actually more comfortable with it. Sam Darnold wasn't that overwhelmed when he went to minicamp for the New York Jets. And I personally thought he would be. But Bates had done a great job of building a system that would seem very familiar to him so that he would integrate into it sooner. And now I do believe that playing right away and learning some of the stuff by, by just doing it is probably better than sitting there and watching it. Now, I think Patrick had the, the perfect storm sure. of one of the all of the great pros in the NFL um, teaching him how to be a pro. And he's admitted that Patrick said that 
publicly this year. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know what? If he did play week eight last year, we'd probably be seeing even a better version of him. So yeah, you're the first I'm telling you. I'm on your side of that argument now. That's great. Yeah, that's a, that really... I'm really surprised because that lead up, I just remember all the, not like they were contentious, but we just always disagreed. And then it was always when I was working with Danny for the most part. And I always kind of joke with Danny. I was like, you're literally the only pro athlete I've ever met that was okay not playing. Like your goal was to not play. So you know, he, would, he would sit there with Garoppolo and go, why does he care? Just sign the next 10. I'd be like, you know, man, eventually you want to play. And I wondered, I always wondered if you were motivated with your previous way of thinking by your own experience. You started, what, two games your rookie year in 94 at 22 with Tampa. I'm, I wonder, and I think we've, I know we've talked about this probably more on the air than we ever did off the air, but. Like, do you think there would have been a different version of you had you been groomed differently and not with such a disastrous franchise in the beginning? I think any person in my seat would be lying if they said their personal experience doesn't influence their, their thought process, their paradigm. Yeah, I try very, you know me very well, I try very hard not to let that affect too much of my analysis. But yeah, this is probably the one that it affects me the most. Um. Because, and it's a lot, and this is 98% my fault. You know, I came out in 94, thought I was going to be the first pick, ended up going sick. I was married already. Everything being written about me and said about me was how mature I know. I was physically really gifted, but also really mature beyond my years and could handle a lot of different things. And my coaches raved about me and the teams I played against raved about me. And inside, I was so insecure. Inside, I didn't know. I wanted to stay my senior year, but we were losing 20 offensive starters. Like seven of them played in the NFL. And I'm being told, go to the NFL. You guys are going to stake next year. You're going to get killed. I mean, that's what I was being told. So I went early, not because I wanted to, because I was being told to. I had deep insecurity. I was overwhelmed moving across the country from California to Tampa, Florida. To the worst organization in football. Yeah. Uh, my coach was very innovative. They tried to do it right. They had a great mentor in place for me in um, Craig Erickson. Um, they, they they really did it right. And Sam Weiss was I good. Was you got along one. with him? You got along with yeah, Sam? Yeah, Sam right. was. Now, I, I treated him horrible because my insecurities, I blamed him and his staff for a lot of my failures. But looking back on it, hopefully I'm. You know, hopefully everybody's introspective enough to look back and realize where you're wrong. I was so wrong and I wasn't ready. And to be able to sit and watch and learn and have people teach me how to be a better pro and then use their discretion on knowing when I was ready would have been better for me. And if my rookie year, that was happening. Okay. So my rookie year was going great. And then they choose to trade Craig after my rookie year and just give me the job. So that's the second thing. I didn't win the job. Craig Erickson was better than me. He made better decisions than me. He knew the playbook better than me. He was a dude in the locker room. The guys respected him. I was just way more talented. And then all of a sudden, I had the most horrific second year in the history <laughs> of professional football. Just so people know, I mean, can I just I just jump in here? You You started 16 games and had four touchdowns and 18 picks. Yeah, I was the worst player in all of football. I say that I've said that a hundred times on record. I was the worst. And, and I just don't want it to see to, I don't want to see it happen to other kids. Josh Allen is the one right now. That's ripping my heart out. Darnold should be playing. Rosen should be playing. 
Baker should be playing. I don't think Josh Allen should be playing. He comes up very similar background as me, Central Valley, California, smaller school. I don't think he is ready for the, the bigness that is the NFL. And he's not surrounded by enough good stuff, innovation, talent, whatever, the 10 other things that can make up for his lack of sophistication and experience. So I'm on your side now, but I, every year I will identify a kid mm-hmm. that is like me, his background's like me. They, you can see the writing on the wall that we can ruin. The chances of ruining this kid are better than making him become a superstar. Now, saying all that, it made me a better man. It made me stronger. It made me a better leader. You can go back and talk to John Lynch, probably the best person to talk to because he was there when I was the worst player in the NFL. And he was there when we went to the Pro Bowl together. And he watched the whole thing. And he saw my match rate. And he was a big part of it because he was a great friend. He was a leader. And he called me to the carpet on some stuff. And I had guys in that locker room that did it, but they suffered through that second year and then Tony's first year. So 90, what is that? 94, six, where we should have been better. Like those players, those 51 other guys got cheated because the Bucks were investing in my career more than the Bucks winning. So luckily I was able to make up for it and we built something really cool there. But that's what, that's my, that's, that's where I come from. And that's why I look at every draft. I'm probably, I just don't want to see it happen to others. I want every single kid to succeed because they work their asses off. And I, now I know them all since they're 16 years old and I know their journeys and I'm invested in their journeys. And I just, it breaks my heart when I see Josh Allen get thrown out there when he's not ready and he doesn't have the pieces around him to help make up for some of that, not being ready. And just Sorry for that. No, that no, that's high horse or that's, whatever. So it wasn't, box, but it wasn't, that's where it all comes from. And then in year four, and I don't know that people even know this in 97, because I think there were so many, oh, Trent Dilfer, Trent Dilfer, you know what I mean? Like, I, that's how I thought of you when I didn't know you, and I was just a dude finishing up college and then bartending. And, you know, you actually were 21 touchdowns, 11 picks in that fourth year. You guys won 10 games in Tampa after being a disaster. Well, you guys won a playoff game too, right? And then you had a pretty good yep, year too. The year you, you had a pretty good year the year after that. Um, what's... I want two versions of this story. Give me the best story of either a vet being good or terrible to you as you were a young guy, and then on the other side for you dealing with a young quarterback. So I kind of just asked you two, so let me just start with the first one. I I always, usually the bad stories are the more entertaining ones, but was there one where you're like, this guy wants nothing to do with me uh, when you were on a roster? All right, so real quick, I'll tell a better story of this, but Craig Erickson would have been the ultimate mentor. He would have been my Alex Smith. I just told the story. They traded him after yeah. uh, the first. my first year. So Casey Weldon becomes my backup. Now, before I tell the story, I want everybody to know Casey and I are still friends because you're not going to think we're going to be friends <laughs> when I tell this story. Wait a minute. Casey did, Weldon's my backup. Did you guys get along? Go ahead. You guys were friends? Yeah. Because I've heard some stories. So we... <laughs> We played a ton of golf together. We hung that. out. Our families hung out. Uh, we were boys. Um, we played cards together. We roomed together. But I could tell he was losing a lot of respect for me, as he probably should have. 
Here he is. He was second in the Heisman coming out of college. He was a talented guy. Every time he got in the game, he did something kind of cool. He was kind of like the modern day. I mean, he was back then. He was kind of the, one of the first run around, crazy, athletic, jump pass, no look pass kind of guy. So very exciting. Um, well, we were playing a ton of golf together. And long story short, we played with a group of guys at the country club in the spring every day after practice. And the gambling got pretty high and, you know, the stakes became edgy. And one day I was saying something about my partner walking down the fairway under my breath. And, and he tells my partner, he's like, Hey, Trent's talking crap about you right now. And that my partner's name is Ron Harper's like 67 years old. I'm like, Ron, no, I'm not, man. I'm just frustrated. And we get up to the green and I start calling Casey out across the green and we're exchanging unpleasantries next you know he starts running at me across the green and we're on we're at avila country club 13th hole metal spike with three other professional businessmen with mansions surrounding the 13th green and he's running at me and he's hot you can tell i've said something that's gonna piss him off that really pissed him off so he's running me and i just hit him right across the jaw drop him casey's a tough son of a gun Casey gets me kind of underneath the groin and flips me over and we're rolling around on the green and shirts have been ripped off and a couple elbows have been thrown and we roll over into a bunker and I'm on top in the bunker. I got my forearm on his throat. My other hand where it hurts him and, and ready to punch him. And he's got me where it hurts. And we finally just give up and adrenaline's flowing and shirts are ripped off. Blood's everywhere. Green's ripped up. By the way, Pro Shop brought us new shirts, and we finished the round of golf. That's what I had heard. That's my best. I'd heard that you guys were allowed to go to the Pro Shop after you beat each other up on the green. It sounds like you won the fight, but that because your uh, clothes were... I, I, I called a draw. I To this day, I called a draw. You got a lot of size on him, though. I'm looking at Weldon's measurements here, and I don't know. I mean, maybe these are the college ones, but it says 6'1", 206. That's not, that can't be accurate, because you were always about like 230. Wiry. Wire sinewy, yeah, wiry tough though, wiry tough. <laughs> oh my god, that's I, so good. I don't think I've ever told that one public. I've told it at speaking events and story time <laughs> with friends. I don't think I've ever did the staff publicly. Did the staff find like what happened when people were? Did people have to like sit oh. you guys down? Yeah, we were practiced the next morning. It was in Golf Digest. I'm sure with the internet, somebody can go. 1995 or six golf digest early spring back pages where Rick Riley used or not Rick Riley, where they used to write that back column. Yeah, it, it was, was Rick Riley. In there. Oh, not digest. Yeah, oh, you're right. Not right. I hear what you're saying. Right. In golf digest, not so somebody in golf digest yeah. wrote it, not Rick Riley in sports illustrated. Yeah. And we were practicing the next day and it was the running joke. And I mean, we handled it. We were all, we've always been friends. We handled it great. I mean, it was just kind of, it just happened. Now the best thing. Were you I guys drinking did, though? I, Were you drinking? No, no, zero alcohol, zero. You nope. fought and sober you and you got over it. No, I know you would tell me. I would have yeah. thought that maybe if you guys were both pretty, like feeling good after a couple of sarsaparillas, then you could kind of blame it on you know those on the Coors Lights. But no, in fact, later that spring, <laughs> later that spring, we were we jumped on a plane in Tampa. We had a, I think we got done on a Thursday with a Friday, Saturday, Sunday free. And we jumped on a plane and went up to the golf club of Georgia all weekend. Just like a month or two later. <laughs> so I mean, just, we were buddies. You just golfed. All right. I like that. I like that. That's, um, yeah. it didn't translate to the field now, necessarily, but you know, 
No, it did not. The, the funnest, no, I, I have a lot of good mentoring stories and how I helped young guys. And, you know, I was always kind of the senior guy in the, in the quarterback room. But when I came to San Francisco, uh, I was brought there with a very specific reason by Scott McLuhan and North Turner. And that was to mentor Alex Smith, teach him how to be a pro, teach him how to do life. Um, you know, every element of it. Honestly, you nailed uh, that, by the way, clear. Trent. You you nailed that part of it with Alex. When I made it very clear, I did not want to play. I was done. I just come off another surgery. I mean, physically, I was cooked. Um, so I kind of wanted to be that coach player. So I, I invested a lot into Alex. Well, we're in spring ball. We're in OTAs. And it was a very clear rep pattern, right? Alex Scott, let's, and these numbers aren't going to be exact, but if we had 10 reps in a seven on seven period or 10 period or a team period, Alex was going to get seven. I was going to get three. Okay. And that was, and I, it was three was plenty. And I was having a good spring. I was getting healthy again. I was coming off the Achilles tear and the knee patella rupture and starting to feel good again. So really love those three reps every day. Well, we're in the spring. And Alex one day is frustrated and he's pissed off and he does his seven reps and he kind of gives me the Heisman and says, stay back. I'm going to take your reps. I'm like, okay. And he's sprouting his wings a little bit, showing a little stuff and a couple of the veteran offensive linemen are looking at him going, Oh no, you didn't. No, you did not just do that to Trent. And I took it. Well, not a big deal. Next day we're out of practice does the same thing. I'm like, okay, he's got to learn a lesson. So we had a, you know, every team has their security guy. Well, our security guy in San Francisco is an ex-FBA guy. So I go to him and we had done this one time in Seattle. So I was familiar with what I was asking. I said, hey, when I was in Seattle, uh, one of our FBI buddies got me this clear powder that they use for money laundering. And this clear powder goes over bills. You don't know it's on the bills. And once you touch the bill, the powder gets on your hand. And once you sweat or get water on you, it turns you purple. I said, hey, to the San Francisco, could you get hold of any of that? And he goes, what are you going to do? Use it for. And I said, well, I'm going to teach our young quarterback a lesson. He goes, absolutely. <laughs> and the next day, I had a little canister of this powder in my locker. This was a Wednesday. And I started planning out what I was going to do to teach Alex a lesson. So what I decided to do is Alex is the most regimented person you'll ever meet. And by the way, Alex is going to listen to this and get pissed that I told the story, but Alex and I have a great relationship and I respect him as much as any human in the NFL. But he's going to be pissed I'm telling the story. So that Thursday You might morning, not listen Alex, to the podcast. It'll, it's me, remember. So um, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So go ahead. Back up. So Thursday, Thursday morning, the last day of OTAs that week because we get Fridays off, I know that Alex is going to get in at exactly 6 a.m. And he's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to go to his laundry bag. He's going to lay out his clothes for the day. He's going to put his clothes on. He's going to go get a 25-minute lift. He's going to go to the shower. I know his routine because I've done it with him already for a period of time. And so I get there at 5.30. And I get into his locker. I take out his laundry bag. I take out his girdle, his socks, his dry fit, everything. And I wipe this. I have plastic gloves on. I got cellophane around my forearms. I got sweats on. So it gets on me and I carefully put this powder all over his stuff, put it back in his laundry bag, mix it up. So it doesn't look like anybody's messing with his laundry bag, put it back on the hook. And I go and I lay down in the bathroom stalls because from the bathroom stalls, I can see the locker room into the weight room. 
And I'm laying there. And sure enough, he comes in at six, puts on his stuff, goes in and starts lifting. You see him on the bench. He's doing some light bench. Next thing you know, he's doing some sit-ups. He's got some trap stuff. He's got some rear delt stuff. I'll never forget this. And he starts sweating. And you can see the stuff. He takes his hands. He wipes his face. And he starts seeing these beads of purple coming down his face. And he doesn't notice that. So now he goes to his locker. He's so tired. He takes his clothes off. He puts his towel on. He still has no idea that he's starting to turn purple. <laughs> he goes and he gets in the shower. <laughs> as soon as he gets in the shower, I've now gone. I couldn't see the shower from the bathroom stalls. Now I've stuck out of the bathroom stalls. And I'm watching him as he's soaping his hair and washing his face. He's turning purple everywhere. And I run out in the locker room. I go, I. So I'd hidden my keys. He doesn't know I'm in the building. So I go back out to the parking lot and enter as if I'm just getting there for the day. He walks out. There's seven, eight guys in the locker room, and he is he has purple streaks all over him. It's on his face. It's on his hands. His hands almost are completely purple. His feet are purple. His groin area is purple. He is purple. He looks like Barney. Now, the best part of the story is that that weekend, he's going to Yosemite with Sean Hill, Sean Hill's girlfriend he and her. his wife, who now is his wife, Liz. They're going to Yosemite for the first time. He's just met Liz. And this is their big first weekend getaway as couples. And he goes out to the field and Coach Nolan, I'll never, Coach Nolan was so mad at me for, because basically I ruined practice because that whole day was just ruined because Alex was purple and that was the talk of How the long was he purple? Um, for like 10 days. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, again, I don't, think I've ever, I don't think I've ever told this one publicly either, but yeah, those are the two probably most dramatic backup quarterback stories I have. Those are good. Okay, before we let you go, uh, this has been a long-standing thing that whenever there's a picture posted of me, you would ne- immediately rip on my legs. And my thing is always that like guys that are heavier throughout their lives end up having just naturally bigger legs and they want the rest of us just to have these python quads and calves. And I always feel like my legs are actually underrated. And the other day I was shooting around and I just was like, hey, my legs felt pretty good. And I jumped up and I hung on the rim at 43. The irony is that I couldn't dunk when I was 22. So I was wondering if I could stop by the the old sports science lab there with you and Brankus and try to figure out, am I just hitting my athletic peak or am I this genetic freak that did not untap all this potential in my 20s? Well, are you spending more time on them? Because my problem was always you'd be so you'd be so outspoken about your upper body lift days. And then, if you know, if your audience remember this, you were wearing Schmedium last two years all on XL radio. All XL. So you were... So you were obviously showing off the upper body lifting, which I, Hey, listen, I respect. And you never really talked about the lower body lifting. And what got me, what really got me started on this, if you remember is you played in the NBA celebrity game. Yeah. And you didn't look bad. Your legs don't look bad. It's not a look. No, I'm not one of those guys. That's all upper body. Like, I feel like you're trying to sell me as one of those guys that never does them. And they're actually terrific. Okay. No, no, no. I will say if people have thought that, then I'll take that. No, I don't think you have a tiny upper body. Unfortunately, you just have heavy legs. You have dead feet. And I was shocked by how the lack of twitch that you had uh, in that 
in that celebrity game. And I felt like with a good plyometric workout, a lot of ballistic training, you know, some of the new age stuff that we could really tap into some of your, the twitch that could be in that body. Here's the thing is you that- just ignore it. You, you just status, you're satisfied being a big, heavy legged, strong guy. I was so out of shape for that game. I hadn't played in like four or five years. So the Twitch is back now and I feel great about it. And we'll, uh, we're going to just hook me up to the EKG there and see what's going on because I, I we're can't. Getting you in the sport. We're getting you in the sports <laughs> science lab. We'll do a full soul and science piece on your brain and I will. Sounds good. Can we do this again sometime, man? It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Anytime for you, man. I love, I've always appreciated your thoughtfulness and how you approach these things and and talk ball with you anytime. Awesome. We'll do it again. Thanks, Trent. All right. See you, buddy. Before I do some of the stuff from the road here, I want to remind you how great it was to come home from Penn State after two hours of sleep because I watched the games on Saturday night. No, I did not go out in town because I had a 4 a.m. wake-up call to get in the car and head out. Not complaining, just saying it was only two hours of sleep. So when I got home, I go, you know what? I'm going to watch the NFL. And then when there's that little window between the late games and the last game, I'm going to take a little snooze on my Casper mattress. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. With three mattress models, the original, the OG, Casper, the Wave, and the Essential, Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. I get the stiff one. Love it. Not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small, how do they do that size box? That's the best part. Because I've done the mattress thing with other places before. And then you're like, are you going to be there? Is there a dude there? And the guy's like, everybody who just, maybe that's the problem. I know, first world problems, bought a nice house, but everybody's hustling me for a tip. You know, there's one furniture place came by and the guy's like, oh, well, we'll move that if you, you know, take care of us. I was like, what does that mean? Explicitly yeah, said it, huh? He said it. He just, he was in the house 30 seconds and he was shaking me down for oh, money. Man. And I just called him out on that. I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean if I help you out? What does that mean? What exactly? You He's want like, back um, <laughs> And then he, he freaked a little. He's like, well, uh, you know. Um, you know, like a good review online. Yeah, okay, that's what that's what you're saying. Well, I'm going to leave a good review online and the and all the different stuff because the Casper mattress shows up in this little box. They drop it there. It's right there. It takes you. Uh, you know, it depends on kind of what your upper body routine is. Some military on the Smith. You bring it upstairs. You pop the box open. The mattress flops open, and boom, it's done. You know what I mean? It's not this massive hassle that all these other places have. So that wasn't even in the read, but that's how I feel about it. Uh, and the best part is it's delivered right to your door, as we said. And free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. But the best part is you can be sure your purchase with Casper because they have the 100-night risk-free sleep on it trial. After all, you spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. And you can also get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash dual and using dual, D-U-A-L, at checkout. That's casper.com slash dual. Offer code dual for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. I want to talk a little about Le'Veon Bell because here's the deal. If I'm going to sit there and say, well, Le'Veon at some point needs to figure this out. I think we're a little thrown off that the breaking news is that he's saying here, and he told ESPN in a report here, that he's going to come back week seven or week eight. Week seven's the bye. They come back uh, against Cleveland. And we thought he was probably going to come back with six games to go week 11. That'd be November 18th to get the credit for the year and then hit free agency. So I'm going to sound to like dumb people are going to think I'm contradicting myself, but I'm actually not. 
If I think it should try, and I've, I've said this before, I almost feel outdated about it, but this kind of thing where, you know, if you're on a team, you know, what's like really fun is trying to all go in the same direction as a team, respect each other and achieve one goal, strive to get one goal. I mean, and this is still kind of the point, of all this stuff, I think, you know, and that's why I thought the Earl Thomas thing was kind of funny is that I felt like so many in the media and I think the fans that crush Earl Thomas, like you're kind of lame, but I also think the fans or excuse me, the media members that blindly defend Earl Thomas after he breaks his leg in the game this weekend and goes, well, that's why he was trying to get all that extra money. And you're like, okay, but the whole counterpoint to that position would be that's why ownership didn't want to give him 30 extra million when they didn't have to when he was already under contract because he may break his leg just like he did. So both things can be true. And with Le'Veon, I haven't always loved it, this Le'Veon story. I've done this Steelers rant before where I just think it's a real weird collection of selfish dudes that are sometimes delusional, and yet it's this amazing talented team and this great fan base at Pittsburgh. I feel like the Steelers fans deserve better because I think this group should have done collectively more the last few years with all the talent on the roster, even though defensively right now I'm a little worried about it. But if the same guys that ripped Le'Veon when he was holding out, which is really weird, and I think was a real hint of of just this isn't just your average holdout. Guys are like, what are you doing? That if those guys are saying you need to do this for the team, then I think those same guys, and I'll say this, need to just bring them back with open arms and not hold any resentment and make sure, okay, look, you held out. You're coming back. Come back a little bit earlier than we thought. And you know what? Let's get out there. Let's block for you. Let's get you the ball. We need you. Let's do everything we can so that you're comfortable in this. And let's make a run of this the second half of the season. And I think that's what professionals do. And I hope that's what happens for Steelers fans because, you know, I know it's impossible. I think the Browns or the city of Cleveland were really the only team that are group of franchises that people from, you know, there's people in Miami going, you know, it kind of sucks, kind of sucks for what the Browns have gone through. But who knows? Maybe the Browns are awesome now with Baker Mayfield. One final thing that I wanted to get to, I was out of Penn State for Ohio State. Great game. Uh, it's my second year in a row at Penn State. And it is always interesting, and this speaks again to how tribal everybody is, is that people will come up to me and I really appreciate it. Although it's probably the worst cheering crowd I've ever had when I was introduced. That was a real ego dimmer. Yeah, the DJ introduces me. But the DJ, this guy, Chris, he's a great guy, but he, you would think I hold both the WWE World Championship belt and the Intercontinental. And not a lot of guys have ever done that. And that's how he introduces me right before I'm about to talk to Ricky Williams or Vince Young or this past weekend, it was Michael Mauti, and who was an awesome linebacker there and an incredible story. And then Kajana Carter, who we all know who he is, right? So <laughs> he introduces me. And I always feel like there's two very distinct fan bases. I wouldn't even put Baylor on this one right now, but there's two fan bases out there. It's Penn State from all the stuff that they went through years ago, as we all know. And Ohio State with Urban Now, where they just despise national guys and they really hate ESPN, even though Brett McMurphy doesn't even work for ESPN anymore. And he's the one that broke that whole story. Kyle. It doesn't you, matter. It no, doesn't matter to anyone. I didn't know what it doesn't you were doesn't matter doing. to anyone. You're, you're right. No, it doesn't matter. It's like, because, hey, who broke the story? The guy that's not at ESPN. Okay, well, now it's on ESPN nonstop, so you guys are all evil. So I'm sure, and I'm actually going to Michigan, Ohio State, I think. And so when I'm introduced there, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's probably it's probably going to be like when I go to LSU, I think I'm doing the speaking appearance thing at LSU. And I know that that'll be a crowd that, you know, it'll be really good. And it'll 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 be a little humbling. Um, but when I was introduced to Penn State thing, people were like, huh? Oh, yeah, OK. All right, all right. Whatever. And then look, Kajana Carter comes out, and, you know, and you should go nuts. It's Kajana Carter. You should definitely go. I mean, I don't even need to say the most obvious sentence. So I'm just going to stop myself on that one. And there's a lot of people that were great there. And I've met, I met this, this kid, you know, whose father had been sick and I think his name's Jack. I hope I'm getting that right. 
And his father and he sat down next to me at this diner and they ended up paying for my breakfast without even telling me. And they were nice as could be. And then I invited them and we all kind of hung out a little bit. And I actually regret not inviting him backstage this time around. But the Nissan Heisman house thing is just a really cool deal. Get to the point, Rosillo. The fans everywhere, because it was a whiteout game, and now they're five and six, and they're all 11 whiteout games. And they go, hey, have you been to a whiteout game before? I was like, yeah, I think so. Last year in Nebraska. And I'm like, dude, that wasn't a whiteout game. <laughs> like, what? And I don't want to sound racist here, okay? There's a chance I may sound racist. <sighs> but there's more redheads in Penn State's campus than anywhere I've ever seen. I don't know. What the hell is that about? I don't, it's like Glasgow. I don't even know if that's the right pronunciation. It's just, I expected guys to start beating me over the head with a, a wooden mug of mead. I, I've never seen, I've never been to a campus. Now, obviously that isn't racist. I was kidding. It was people going, oh my God, is we still going to go down in flames at the end of dual threat here? Soundbite racism. Right, there we go. Um, no, it's just a ton of redheads at Penn State. I don't know if there's a discount. Um, I actually don't think this can be offensive, anything I'm saying. So, yeah, a lot of redheads there, but they'll go, hey, is this, um, you know, I'm, I'm there. I was lucky enough to be on the sideline for a good chunk of the first half. And then, you know, some Penn State people come up to you and they go, best experience you ever had? <laughs> best game to experience? And they're not they're not asking if there's another one. They're simply making that statement for you to confirm little shoulder it. pat. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and you just go. It's really good. And it is. It's really good. It's 100,000. They're super into it. It's not a quiet 100,000, which, by the way, Texas deserves more credit for changing that whole thing around. Uh, I think Andy Staples did a piece on that because I, when I was there a couple weeks ago, I go, dude, this is kind of a thing now. And by the way, the whole McConaughey, Texas plays it all the time and only Texas should be playing it. You want to know why? Because they're the only ones that have McConaughey in real life on the sideline. Not at Penn State. Penn State's doing it in the wrong key, by the way. I don't know who their band director is, but my ear is so tuned musically, I immediately knew, nope, wrong key. However, uh, you just you feel bad, like you don't know what to say. And this is not knocking anything about the Penn State thing. The only real bummer about Penn State, Ohio State, was two fan bases trying to call out the other fan base for moral dilemmas of the last few years. You're like, why don't both of you guys just shut up? Um, but it isn't. Penn State Whiteout is really, really cool. And once again, as anybody asks me, they go, the best thing you've ever seen? I go, it's not LSU on a Saturday night. And until further notice, that will be my answer forever. Real quick look at the rankings here. Something to think about. Notre Dame, who beat up on Stanford. Now Notre Dame is six in the AP and seven in the coaches poll. Let's see if the coaches poll has Nebraska maybe getting a vote in there like they have for decade no probably not because nebraska hasn't won um i'm kidding notre dame six in the ap and their schedule at the beginning of the year looked impossible and i always think everybody's going to lose a game or two i don't care how good you are i mean that's just sort of how i feel and you know with auburn sort of being all over the place i'm not quite sure about that yet so maybe bama runs the whole table here and i still don't think as good as lsu is on paper and the resume and all these things i have a really hard time believing but you never know the voodoo baton rouge louisiana the whole deal i'll probably be picking lsu minus a touchdown once i'm there for three days that's happened to me before. But Notre Dame had Michigan. That game was only a score, but it, it wasn't if you watched it. Um, they beat up on Stanford, a Stanford team that just had beaten Oregon. And here's a little fun with rankings. Because Notre Dame, again, as I mentioned, the schedule that we thought would be tough. They got to go to Virginia Tech this weekend. That's not easy, but it doesn't feel as daunting after Virginia Tech um, lost, what, to Old Dominion? 
So like that's that's a real thing to to now pay attention to. Um, I'm scrolling through a bunch of stuff here. Yeah, that's right. That was the stupid old Dominion game. Well, stupid if you're Virginia Tech, but uh, not if you're old. Not if you're old ODU. That was Verlander's squad, right? Back in the day, Kyle, you can look that up, right? Uh, Verlander was old Old Dominion. I don't know what it was, but it, like Old Dominion always had like maybe they still do really good baseball. There's Old Dominion baseball fans. There's about four listening to this podcast right now. Being like, God damn it, he's getting it wrong. No, he's getting it right. Uh, no, I know he pitched there, but I don't We're know how good stats. they've been recently. No, I don't. I don't need any stats. You've you've done more than enough. Thank you. So again, Michigan, Stanford, Virginia Tech, at Northwestern, maybe Florida State, they stink, and then at USC. So so Virginia Tech, not what we thought they'd be. Right? Can we at least say that Florida State, not even close to what we thought they'd be? Hell, Syracuse at home, maybe Notre Dame's toughest game the rest of the way. But I don't want to, you know, be saying at Virginia Tech's just some walkover, even though they lost Old Dominion. So we shouldn't do that. At USC, not as tough as it looked before. So again, how are they going to go undefeated? How are they going to run this table? When it starts coming down to angst and everyone clinging onto their resume and spinning it any way you possibly can. And I've heard from all of you all over the country for decades. I know your game. I know everything you try to do. Be like, look at us versus the top 28. Like, oh, interesting how you cut it off at 28. But that win against Stanford, again, a Stanford team that came into South Bend ranked seventh in the country because why? They beat Oregon, who's better than them. Oregon is better than Stanford. They were better the entire game, and they they couldn't stop fumbling the football. It was a joke, and I'm not taking that away from Stanford, but I'm comfortable in saying they had no business winning that game. But that turns them into a top 10 victory for Notre Dame, a Notre Dame team that may, depending on how the rest of this thing shakes out, because we're not talking about a conference here with Notre Dame, that will be a resume builder when, in fact, if Oregon finished out the game like most teams would have statistically and not just fumbled away the whole deal, then Notre Dame wouldn't have that top 10 win and then people would start knocking them. So I'm just telling you, like, that's a weird little thing with the rankings that's worth paying attention to. And I'm not knocking Notre Dame. I love that they went to Ian Book. I said it earlier. I didn't see it in Wimbush, excuse me, Wimbush, um, but he was so good at running the football. It's just something to remember unless they end up losing to they lose Virginia Tech, it won't really matter unless a bunch of other teams lose. That'll do it for the Dual Threat Podcast. We may have some special giveaways coming up. Not sure what they are yet. Oh, shit. Me yeah. neither. Kyle doesn't, Kyle doesn't even know. Simmons doesn't know. He may freak out. Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, really cool. Really cool what we've been able to do. It's been top 10 in episodes every week since it's come out. So... Uh, Google Play coming soon. And Promise. Google Play coming soon. All right. So, uh, and, and I hope now for you, the, you out there that give Trent Dilfer shit, maybe you back off a little. <laughs>